Hey everybody, Sam Ellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star. I'm grateful for you listening to the 69th episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. We're going to be worth your time again this week. Uh, first, we're going to do it with some insight on the biggest news of the week, which was the Royals. Um, not just the promotion of J.J. Piccolo to general manager and Dayton Moore to president, but then John Sherman announcing that the team is exploring options of where to play, including a potential downtown stadium. Uh, the questions are about Andy Reid's decisions, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's explosive in the Royals 2022 lineup. First, I'm going to have a column on JJ uh, pretty soon, and, and I think it's going to be some good stuff. You guys are going to, I think, enjoy getting to know him. Um, but just here at the top, um, look, this is a really good thing for the Royals. JJ um, has basically been the number two in some ways. I mean, they've got a lot of guys that have been in the leadership there with Scott Sharp and Gene Watson, Renee Francisco, especially. Um, but JJ has been right in that mix since basically the beginning. I think he, he came over just a couple months after Dayton was hired. Um, he's had a hand in basically everything that they've done. And, you know, the strides that the farm system has made in the last few years after he took over, uh, have just been remarkable. Um, you know, Look, for, for far too long, there's been this sort of war in baseball about analytics and scouts. And, and I know that it's a common thing for people to say, to say that the best approach is to use both of those things. But, you know, way too often it's just words. And I, I'm not here to tell you the Royals like reinvented the wheel or, or, you know, have this all wrapped and figured out. Um, and it's going to be, you know, nothing but peaches and roses, um, for the next 20 years or whatever. Uh, but I do know that if you ask around and, and have these conversations, people both in and outside the organization, you will 100% be impressed by, by what the Royals are doing. Um, the idea is to take like all information and look like when I say the analytics thing, we need to change what that means. That's not on base percentage or OPS plus or whatever. It's, it's, um, you know, this is biomechanics and, and this is getting into, you know, the science of, of how different guys swings work and how different guys bodies work, how their arms work. Um, just very detailed information about pitch type and, and the right spin rate, you know, all those things. And, and the idea is to take all this like pretty complicated stuff. You know, this is advanced like algorithms and, uh, you know, powerful computers and all that. So, so take that. Take all that information, this high-level analytic stuff, and then be able to present it just human to human in a way that makes sense and, and can be processed and is not lost. And the Royals have always been known as sort of people first, right? And, you know, look, everybody wants to do that, but I'm telling you, man, if, if, if you talk to coaches, scouts, players who've been in other places, um, you know, the, the, they'll tell you this is an organization that has always valued people. Um, you know, a little bit more than, than maybe some others. So look like for years, that's been a conflict, right? The Royals have been knocked for that. You know, if the idea is like, you know, baseball is everybody's commodity, right? Like it's the real world. And, you know, if the Royals say that they win with people, then, uh, is it not a conflict because these guys are commodities? Like, where do you draw that line? If, if, if this person is a data point, you're not treating them as a person, right? So, Look, um, I think the trick that JJ, and you'll hear this a lot, like what they've done in the minor leagues. And I think the trick that, that they've pulled off is to use those people skills and priorities to everybody's advantage, to 
make sure that each interaction or, or presentation to a hitter or pitcher is personalized. You know, like some guys, and you know, look, this just this tends to be more true of, of Latin American players. It's just how how they're brought up. Um, you know, some guys don't want any of that stuff. You know, they just want to play, they want to feel. And so for maybe them, the approach is that, you know, the coach, look, the coach has to know all the information, but maybe that coach presents it to that guy in a way that just doesn't feel like data, you know, present it in a more old school approach. Like, you know, this is very basic stuff, but like if, if this guy's hitting 143 on sliders down in the zone, the coach is going to work on that specifically and have the biomechanic stuff to, to, to back him up, to give him better information, to be more effective as a teacher. But he's not going to say that, right? He's not going to say 143. And he's not going to say biomechanics. He's just going to coach, but it's going to be an aid in that process. So, look, like I, I think, uh, you know, there there are a million different spots in between the the, the spectrum. Like, right, one, one one guy might not want any data. The other guy may want every piece of data and and treat it like a math problem. And, and that's all he wants in his approach because he knows 70% first pitch fastball. That's what I'm looking for. Um, you know, 85% two strike change up away, something like that. Like that's how, maybe that's how this other guy works. So, you know, there's a million different spots in between those two ends of the spectrum. So this information is like really useful, you know, um, but it has to be presented in specific ways that make sense to each player. And I know that sounds basic, right? Um, but I'm telling you, this stuff is harder to do in practice because there's so many players and, and the tendencies want to streamline. There's always so much time. But if you look at the results in the minor leagues, the Royals the last two years, you can see this stuff has it's been gangbusters. And I think what we're going to see is a continuation of some of that at the big league level, you know, more sort of like a mo- modernization, you know, more information, more personalized approaches with each guy. But Still making sure to sort of, you know, keep your strengths your strengths, right? So making sure you're still valuing, investing in, in, in humans. And look, Dayton is still going to be heavily involved in, in baseball ops and he'll have what he described as sort of like final or tie breaking decision making. But this also frees him up to spend more time on stuff he's passionate about and stuff that I think he'd say he's best at. And, you know, that's more amateur scouting. It's more minor league stuff. It's more culture building. It's more leadership coaching. And I don't know, guys, like there's no certainties here, but I've known Dayton and JJ for about 15 years now. And and I really think this thing is structured in a way that can take advantage of each of those guys' strengths. And I also think it's worth noting here that the timing of this is done in a way that gives JJ a nice platform for success because those prospect, prospects are going to be up soon and the pitching really seems to be taken. I think they're going to be able to spend a little more too. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, okay. Uh, the second thing I want to talk about here at the top is is the downtown stadium. And I, I've written about that. Uh, it's on the website. And I hope you check it out. And this point is going to be a little bit shorter, but it's it's basically this. I hope we can all stay open-minded on this. You know, when, when that news happened, we we all have these emotional responses, right? And, and that's a good thing. It means we care. It means we're invested. And, you know, my emotional response is that I really hope this happens. Because I think it would be awesome. And I've wanted a downtown stadium for years. They just, they work really well. It's the best way for a baseball team, you know, playing 81 home games a year to, to really get into a city and be entwined like that. And I also know that a lot of you have the opposite emotional response. You love the K. You love the look, the feel, the convenience. Um, I get that. I love the K too, right? Like, how could you not? Um, but my point here is that I hope that we can all avoid just like climbing our chosen hills and and just dying there. You know what I mean? Like, if you're with me on downtown, um, you know, then what happens if the Royals can't answer the questions about like infrastructure or getting in and out or location or funding? Like, 
I hope we don't just like continue to bang the drum and demand a new spot downtown just because we like shiny objects, right? Like, and if you're into the royal staying put, um, what happens if all those questions are answered? What happens if, you know, what if Sherman's ownership group was putting a ton of their own money into it and the studies come back and say traffic will be fine and all that? Like, I, I hope this just doesn't become a deal where we're just so welded to what's familiar that we're not open to something that might be better. You know, that's all I'm saying here. Like, we all have our starting points, but let's be open-minded and see where the process goes. Listen to new information, other perspectives, all that. Um, okay, uh, last thing, I, I know a lot of you are already taking the next step here, and I have kind of too, which is natural. So let's go ahead and talk about this. If the Royals do indeed go downtown, uh, what do the Chiefs do? And I'm going to tell you here that the Chiefs are in a great spot on this. I mean, this could not be a better spot for them. Like, their roommate at the sports complex wants to see about moving out. And that means that the Chiefs can sort of, like, just draft on that momentum. They can let John Sherman and the Royals take the arrows and and do the heavy lifting on public funding and, you know, all the complexities that go with it. And then at the end, like, whatever the Royals are able to get, the Chiefs can just sort of say like, hey, yeah, like, we'll take that much too, you know? Um, but it's not just with the funding that they're in a good spot because think about what happens uh, if the Royals leave. That's a lot of space in the parking lot that's open now, right? And I've always figured that the Chiefs would see if they can build a new stadium where the K is now and, and then either repurpose Arrowhead um, as some sort of like multi-purpose revenue generator or at the very least, like tear it down and, and have more parking. Um, you know, maybe they could build like some offices there or something. But, um, you know, the, the more I think on this, the more I think that the move might be to just, uh, use whatever money they get and, and just heavily renovate. Um, you know, a new football stadium probably costs somewhere between like 1.5 and $2 billion. And, you know, that's maybe twice the cost of a new baseball stadium, by the way. So are the hunts going to be able to justify that? Like, are they going to be able to, or willing, I should say, to invest that much? You know, are they really going to be convinced that, you know, in the country's 34th biggest market, and, and they can talk all they want about drawing from a five or six state region, but this isn't LA, you know, are they really going to think that uh, in Kansas City, a new stadium would generate that much extra revenue to make 1.5, 1.8, whatever million do- billion dollars a smart investment? Like, I, I just think the financials are just so different, um, you know, between these two sports. So I wonder if the move is to renovate and, and they'd make it awesome. Um, but with a lower price point, um, they can sell tradition, right? And, and maybe they can, uh, take the sort of money saved, if you will, and either turn the K into or build something new in that space to hold concerts, um, and other events. Um, I don't know. Angie and Chris Long are actively working on building a new stadium just for, uh, their NWSL team. And I've always assumed that they prefer to be downtown. And that's just me talking. I don't know that. They've been really coy every time I've asked. But um, if they are willing to be at the sports complex, then maybe their money is spent a little more efficiently. And, and maybe they can still get, you know, a cut of revenue when the concerts come to town, right? So, look, the, the Longs have said like they'd like a 10,000 or so seat building. Um, and that would be really perfect for some other stuff, too, because, um, you know, it's, it's a different show that wants to... That wants a size of 10,000 seat outdoor arena. That's a different show than an arena show, you know, like the T-Mobile Center. So I don't know, guys. Um, it, it's all speculation at this point, but um, that's where I'm at. And uh, if I was betting, um, I would bet that the Royals do end up downtown. I would bet that the Chiefs renovate. And I would bet that there's a new outdoor event space at the sports complex. Um, 
uh, there's a million obstacles to, to get through between now and then. But um, look, again, I, I just want to emphasize, we, we all have these emotional responses to all of this. Um, and and I, I hope that we can respect everybody. But, you know, look, man, if, if the funding can work and all these other boxes can be checked, um, you know, this is this is what progress looks like, you know. So. Okay, uh, before we move on to the rest of the show, here comes the spiel. Uh, three asks, and you know we're still cool if you only do one, two, or even zero. But I got to ask, the first, help support us. Uh, give the Sports Pass a try. A dollar a month for the first three months or $30 for a year. Just reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, or email, whatever, and I'll send you those links. Um, number two, please rate and review the podcast. Uh, we appreciate all the love that you've given us already. We see you. We thank you. Um, you know, all the five star ratings that, that you've given us already. I, I appreciate you. I'm just saying, if you haven't done that yet, um, if you haven't given us a rating and review, please do. It really helps us get the word out. Uh, the third thing, um, if you want to participate in next week's show, uh, please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Put the number in your phone. Call anytime. 816-234-4365. Uh, one more time, here's the number. Rewind if you don't catch it clean. 816-234-4365. Um, okay, guys, uh, quick break, and then we're back with the questions. Hi, Sam. This is Robbie from Northern Virginia. Uh, first of all, thanks for, for doing this. I think it's really cool that uh, fans, you know, even outside of the, the normal KC area can uh, have a chance to engage with you and and other uh, other fans of the star, so appreciate that. Um, my question is really about Andy Reid's decision in the first quarter of the uh, the Chiefs Browns game, where on fourth and two he decided uh, to kick the field goal, you know, despite being you know well in the red zone. I, I know that that decision has been largely lambasted on on the in the radio scene um, as not being very courageous of a decision, but I, I wanted to offer maybe a different perspective and wanted to hear your take on it. So knowing that our unicorn quarterback is extremely petty, do you think maybe Andy Reid is seeing the way that the Browns have already played in their first drive with the scoring eight points and being very aggressive that he might need to light a fire under Patrick in order to come back and win this game? Maybe by not allowing him to go out there on fourth down, Patrick is now thinking every third down that comes up for the rest of the game, I'm I'm going to have to convert because – I'm, I might not get those fourth down opportunities. And for the rest of the game, he's nine of, uh, they, they converted nine of 12 opportunities, um, on third down. So just interested in, uh, in your take on that, uh, on this alternative perspective. Uh, thanks so much for what you do. And, um, I'll be looking forward to this on the podcast. Bye bye. Hey, Robbie. Uh, first, thanks. Um, that's cool of you to say. I appreciate it. Um, and I hadn't thought of that particular connection. Um, and I don't think that's what's happening here, but it's an interesting thing that particular play that you're talking about. Um, I mean, look, like I think they should have gone for it. Um, I think fourth and short should be a go for the chiefs unless there's a really compelling reason not to do it. You know what I mean? Like I would flip that traditional thinking. I just, the, the chiefs have too much talent, you know, too much speed, too much creativity. Now an offensive line that can move guys a little bit. I just, I, I think about the defense and I think 
And then he was replaced in the offseason. And I think Andy wanted to see if he could reward that with a touchdown. I really do. I genuinely believe that. That stuff is important to him. And, you know, he always calls football a people business, right? Like, keep that keep that stuff in mind. But, you know, look, overall, uh, the Chiefs were third in the league in converting uh, third downs last year, 49%. So I, I think we're going to see them be pretty good there again and, and do it often. So uh, I don't draw that connection that you do, but I do think it's an interesting point and something worth thinking about. Um, okay, uh, here's one more Chiefs question. Uh, this is from Chris. Hi, Sam. This is Chris, and I'm calling from Atlanta, Georgia. Big-time Chiefs fan and love to follow you and uh, on Twitter and um, love your material, and I'm a subscriber. Uh, so thanks for all you do. Your content is fantastic. Um, my comment for the podcast is related to Clyde and his performance compared with what we've seen in the past from Damian Williams. So loved Damian, thought he was a great runner, and he filled in masterfully for Kareem. And what we see from Clyde so far is I don't see him breaking away. I don't see him, you know, cutting back. I don't see the big play ability, although I believe he's got it and he's got that low center of gravity. Um, but I'm a little worried about his breakaway ability and his ability to actually – make big plays. Um, so just curious what you see there. And he's, I wouldn't call him a disappointment, but he's also not been great. And so I'm just wondering, um, how long do we hang in there with Clyde? I mean, it looks like we're committed for this year, but what do we do going forward if we find another average year coming out of Clyde? Um, thanks and love the material. Chris, uh, my man, thank you. Um, I appreciate those words as well. Um, thank you, thank you. Um, okay, look, I, I thought Clyde actually, I thought he was okay last year. Um, not great. Not what the Chiefs wanted drafting him that high. Uh, but I thought he was okay. Um, he's really tough. Um, he, he's got a way of making some yards after contact. And, and I think he can help them in the pass game, running routes. Um, his biggest problem, and it's not close, but his biggest problem is pass protection. And that was the case last year. And if you go back, watch Mahomes' touchdown run again and, and look at what's happening up front. The line has that thing blocked. The line has that thing sealed off. The pressure comes through because Edwards Hilaire just whiffs on his block. So, you know, if you can't protect the quarterback, it's really hard for you to have a big part of what's going on, you know. And look, there were also a couple snaps against the Browns where it looked like he hit the wrong hole. Um, or, or missed chances to bounce outside for some yardage. But, you know, with the, the all 22 still unavailable on, on Game Pass, and please, NFL, just put that on there. Um, you know, without seeing the angles a little bit better, I'm not going to make huge criticisms there. You know, I'm not going to yell too loud or, be, or try to pretend that I'm too certain. I think that Clyde will be a good player. Um, again, not great, uh, but I think he'll be a productive piece of this offense. Um, there's going to be a game or two, and I think these things are more likely as the season goes on and the line improves. But there's going to be a game or two where he'll just win some fantasy games for you. You know what I mean? Um, but I think more often than not, he's going to be a tough runner. He's going to get what's there and be shaky in pass protection. I think that's what you got with him. So, um, okay, uh, we're going to, uh, well, not finish, but here's one more question, uh, and then we'll get to the best voicemail i've ever had i think um here, here's a question about the royals um okay here's greg hey sam it's greg calling from lenexa kansas appreciate your work appreciate the minute kind of getting excited about this royal team what it looks like seeing these young waves and talent come up uh, what is a kind of 
most exciting or kind of an ideal lineup look like for you going into 2022? Any awesome music recommendations you've got for us? Hope you're well. Thanks. So, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts here and um, like literally moving parts. Um, Whit Merrifield, Alberto Mondesi, Hunter Dozier, Bobby Witt Jr., MJ Melendez. Um, that is five in-house options that can play multiple positions. And, and it doesn't even include Nicky Lopez or Kyle Isbell or Nick Prado. Well, they got eight. So <laughs> I, I'm not I'm going to throw one lineup out here. And, and I did this with the digital minutes, but um, here's one possibility that I find pretty interesting. Um, okay, listen up. It's uh, uh, you lead off Merrifield. And, and please pay more attention to who's on the field and where they're playing than the batting order. But here it goes. Uh, Merrifield. Royals are going to see what he looks like in the outfield. Um, I'd be surprised if that's not part of the exit interview after the season. Um, and Melendez is a, is a catcher, but he's been playing some third base in Omaha, some right field. You know, presumably to to prepare for a big league promotion and a way to keep his bat in the lineup when Perez is catching. So um, that lineup I'm presenting is I, I think that's the Royals' best offensive lineup, um, even with three rookies. But you know, Mondesi will rove around. He'll go between third base, DH at least, and maybe a little bit of shortstop. And like I said, I think maybe the outfield. Uh, Merrifield's best position is second base, but he can be flexible for the right situation. Um, Bobby Wick can basically play anywhere else on the field if center doesn't take. So if that's how this goes, if, if, if Witt Jr. can't play center, then I think trying Mondesi in the outfield becomes even more important because the Royals mention third base a lot when they talk about where Witt Jr. might play. Um, the Royals could also, like, obviously they, they could bring Taylor back, you know. He's a he's a terrific defender and center, um, but I wonder if they just like a little bit more up, upside um, offensively in another spot for, for one of their guys. So, um, look, I haven't heard anybody say this, so this is just me talking, but I think another way to get Mondesi on the field could be to put him at second base and move Merrifield to the outfield. Um, so, I don't know. Mondesi made his big league debut as a second baseman, you know, when Escobar was still around. And if both those guys can do it, I think the Royals' better defense would be Mondesi uh, in the outfield and, and Merrifield at second. But um, I also think the days of having guys just having set positions and playing only those set positions, that just doesn't exist as much as it once did. And, and I think it exists a lot less in an organization that puts such a premium on athleticism. So, um, look, it'll be a really interesting thing to watch, no matter how this goes. Um, I'm looking forward to it. So, um, anyway, either way, um, okay, guys, we're going to finish with, um, I know I've teased this a couple times now, but this is the best voicemail I've ever had here at the Star. Um, take it away, Helen. I'm Helen Lee Summit. I'm 93. I only have a home phone. But I'd like to see... A big thing like you wrote about Patrick today about Tom Brady. I mentioned it to a lady sitting on my porch the other evening. She jumped up. I hate Brady and run down the street. I love Brady. I mean, for real. Like, how how good is that, right? Like, uh, it's perfect. It's just perfect. Thank you, Helen. Call anytime. Um, okay, guys, one more break, and then we are back with uh, some clips from what I thought was an interesting conversation recently with with Tony Gonzalez. Okay, uh, let's finish strong. Uh, this week we're going to do it with some audio from Tony Gonzalez that you haven't heard before. I, 
I called Tony, uh, this was a few weeks ago. I called him for this column I did on, on Patrick Mahomes that's still on the website, by the way. Um, you can find it if you Google uh, Patrick Mahomes, my name, and the word navigates. Uh, but anyway, I talked to Tony and a few others who've lived this, you know, this famous athlete life in Kansas City. And I'm glad I did. You know, it was good perspective. I, I kept it in mind as I was writing. But um, at the end, I didn't really use a lot of it just because what Mahomes is going through is like just has no precedent you know what I mean like nobody's ever really been close but um you know I thought Tony's been as close as anybody right and he was also really good on it I mean he's he's a tv guy now right so that should come as no surprise but um anyway so I just thought it'd be worth uh sharing a few clips here um the first here it's about how uh fame hit him here and and how he thought was the best way to uh to navigate it um okay here's Tony I do remember the first time I was like oh my god okay I remember we were out at a at a bar down in Westport, and um, we just popped in there, and I was having a drink, and somebody came up and asked me for an autograph, and I signed an autograph, and then somebody else right after them, and I'm like, okay, I'll sign an autograph again, and I this is the very first time this happened to me, and I'm like signing, and then all of a sudden somebody else is behind them, and I'm signing all these autographs, taking pictures, and then I look up, and literally a line had formed oh, at a gosh. bar. Yeah. Like I was at an autograph session, and I remember going, what the hell? <laughs> and then uh, I think I was with Jason Dunn with me, and he's like, man, he's like, you're a rock star. Uh, and then uh, I remember uh, the the security came over, and they said, hey, you, you you want us to stand here? And I'm like, yeah, I guess. And the security was kind of like keeping people back and keeping people out of our area because it was it was just too much. And yeah. uh, that was the first time that, that I was like, Oh my! Oh my God! I was I was also at a rock bar one time. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe I should keep that story to myself. Tony said some of the stuff he tried to do is you know just make sure you're in the right mood if you go out, right? And he also tried to remember he got some advice from a stepdad um, who he was really close to called Pop, and he told him like if you want to say no, just remember that that interaction could make someone's day. And it's also, you know, going to inform how that person thinks of you for the rest of their life. And, um, you know, anyway, when me and Tony were talking, the conversation turned a little bit. Uh, we started talking about, you know, the importance of sort of like acknowledging and even enjoying some of that attention, but still making sure that it's not your driver. You know what I mean? That, that you're not playing to be famous, that you're playing for the sport. Um, you know, keep in mind why that attention is happening in the first place. You know, don't, don't let your football slip. So, um, anyway, I thought this was an interesting story he told, um, about Johnny, Man Johnny Manziel. It is, it is absolutely weird. And you have to keep your head screwed on straight. Yeah. Uh, and one thing that, you know, I've always looked at Tom Brady as a great example of, you know, you get all this attention, but he's never he's always it's always been football and family first for him and the fame and all that other stuff some people get caught up in that you know they start wanting to work on their brand more than more than their game or they they love their brand more than their game and and uh you can you can tell you can yeah. you can and I, I remember i i met johnny manzel at uh and he this was at his at his peak, I know it was right when he fell, you know, was falling down, he was going down, and then he was saying he wanted to make a comeback. Mm. And he said he was out there working out, and I'm like, well, that's good for you. I saw him working out. I just coincidentally saw him working out in the field. Um, and I said, uh, it's good for you, man. Congratulations. I hope you get it. And then his marketing manager walked up with a box of shoes, and there was, on the shoe it said, the comeback. 
and he was trying to sell these shoes to market for himself for the Johnny Com- Johnny Manziel comeback. And I remember going, "What? See, that's that's why you're in the place you are, you know? Yeah. Because yeah, your priorities are way out of. What are you talking about a comeback? Like, like go out there and just ball. Like, stop trying to capitalize on that. And that's what I've always loved about Tom. He doesn't. You never seen him do too many commercials. You never see him. I mean, now it's start towards the end of his career. You seem like it's a lot more lately. And I don't know if that, maybe that's because of New England or whatever, but um, I think that's how he was able to stay so focused and so long. Because one thing I learned quick too is, is, is as much as they love you and you can buy into that, they'll 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 fade away. You know, <laughs> having yeah. real 20, 20 interceptions one year is uh, it's gonna be. Uh, it's all really interesting stuff, um, but like just in so many ways, there just aren't precedents for Mahomes. You know, not just that level of global fame. I mean, like just nobody's been close from Kansas City um, or had anything like this this contract or the number of commercials. You know, uh, at least not since Bo Jackson, right? Um, but more to the point, like just the the accessibility. You know what I mean? Like I think about this. Like this man went from. Like an interesting prospect from a conference that had never really produced a good NFL quarterback to the best player in the biggest sports league in America. And he did it in a matter of months. And he did it in his early 20s. And here's the incredible part. Like he's done it at least so far without so much as a quick video of him acting like somewhat rude showing up on someone's Instagram or whatever. It's pretty crazy. Um, so anyway, here's, here's Tony Gonzalez acknowledging that. And I, and here's the difference between him and I is, you know, I got married after year 10. So I, uh, it was, and that was right when the camera phone started, yeah. started hitting. Um, and that's the difference between all, all the guys in the league now and us when, when I was younger, those first, my first 10 years and the first 10, 12 years in the league, like I didn't, nobody had to worry about going out and having a camera phone there and, and watching every move that you do and posting it up on their feed. Like we didn't have that problem, he's got that, and so I I don't envy him from that. Like so that, that it's, I'm sure it's hard for him to go anywhere. Yeah, uh, in Kansas yeah. City. So now, um, obviously, my biggest goal in journalism is to find out that story. Um, I need to hear it. Um, okay, guys, that's the show. Um, thanks again for joining us, and please help us spread the word. Um, tell a friend we're worth your time. Please reach out to me if you can help support us with the Sports Pass, and please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Thanks to everybody who called in, uh, even those we couldn't get to. Thanks to Monty Davis uh, for taking over where Savannah Smith left off and putting all this together. Um, As always, the biggest thanks to you for joining and letting us be a small part of your life. Um, Okay, everybody, uh, have a great weekend. Be kind. Be kind.